Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff to talk about, so I'm just going to jump right in. First up, Jeffrey Roberts recently did a panel talking about how the video game music that you hear on YouTube and even on some professional releases is actually different than the original. And I really liked the panel because it's something that people who don't really know much about the subject could listen to and still fully understand. However, people that are really into this stuff, and you might even consider experts in VGM, might also enjoy this because of some of the behind the scenes info about what goes into making these releases and, you know, kind of all of the little things that tie all this stuff together. So this is certainly something that's very relevant to a lot of the work that I've been a part of because I'm always trying to get the most accurate or best video game experience, depending on your needs. Best is obviously something that's always relative to you, but accurate to the original and best for your needs are two very important factors in all gaming, really. So kind of having a panel like this really lay it all out, I thought was very cool. So if you're slightly interested in this at all, I would really consider giving it a listen. And I'd also love to have Jeffrey on here sometime to talk about it. Just going to find the time to reach out and make it all happen. So hopefully we'll be seeing him on here at some point as well. Next, Professor Abrasive recently released a firmware update for the Satiator optical drive emulator for the Saturn that fixed some game compatibility issues. I guess there was an end data transfer error in the Seek Times that once fixed now allowed Marvel Superheroes vs. Street Fighter to work as well as a few other games. There was also a firmware update a few months ago that updated the menu that also fixed some compatibility issues. So if you own the Satiator, definitely update the firmware. And if you'd like more details as to exactly what happened and how it was fixed, definitely check out the post by the Shiro crew. They went in and spoke directly to Professor Abrasive, got the full lowdown on it. So if you're interested, definitely check that. And if you want a review and the ability to buy one, check out the link at the bottom of the post to see the Shiro review on it as well well as a link to where to purchase them. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, and today is the conclusion of the project I've been trying to make over the past month or so, where I started with a single board that I was going to be doing a subcarrier bypass on that only had a few components. So then I said, well, since there's only a few components and it should be pretty cheap to have it made, let me go through the trouble of panelizing it and then having a few pre-made for me. 
But then I ran into a few issues that were totally my fault. I was rushing to get it in on time for these podcasts and skipped a step. So JLC PCB contacted me. We went back and forth and discussed it. They were very helpful. And we basically figured out I messed up. And then I resubmitted it again. And I honestly don't know what happened the next week. I don't know if Easy EDA exported it wrong or if I had flubbed one of the settings, but it seemed much more expensive than it usually is, which probably leads me to believe I had a part difference in there. Maybe something had a minimum order of 5,000 parts and I only needed 100 of them or something. So I made the decision to just say, let's stop, only make the PCBs, I'll hand assemble them myself, and then proceed with testing to make sure that this run works. And while that, I think, is pretty safe advice to give people, it was the wrong move because these PCBs ended up working perfectly. And this is a very valuable lesson for all of you to learn because while I've been soldering these components for as long as I could remember, I am very out of practice. And while there's only four SMD components on these boards, they're very small boards and very tiny components. So while these came out totally fine, I toned them all out. I made sure that there's no no shorts or anything like that. Everything works fine. As you can see, they're kind of ugly because <laughs> I don't know if it's the lighting in my room isn't that good or maybe my eyes are going because I'm in my 40s now, but I really wish I didn't have to spend the time to make these myself and had JLC PCB do that for me. So let my mistakes be your learning experience because my mistakes are things that almost every one of you could probably run into. So hopefully this kind of sets up for different projects you might have. I'll have another project next week that I think you might have some fun with. However, I'd now like to show you what exactly I was trying to make for the past month. So check this out. This next one's a big deal for fans of the Model 1 Genesis. Tian Fong just released an open source board that allows you to clean up a lot of the RGB signal while retaining composite video. So that was the short, short version. I want to give kind of a medium overview for everybody. And then I'm going to have a much longer explanation as to why I feel this is very important. But I understand that a lot of people don't care, so I'll give you that warning. But maybe stick with me for this one if you're even slightly interested in nerd stuff like this. Basically, the way the Genesis works, the Model 1, you have the VDP, the Video Display Processor, that sends all of the signals across the motherboard, and the video signals eventually get to the Sony CXA encoder, which take those and turn it into the RGB composite and then RF video that you might see when you plug into these consoles. Now, the subcarrier signal that's run carries the color information for composite video. And the way the trace on the motherboard is run essentially is like an unshielded RGB cable where it has all of this interference getting picked up by everything around it. So a mod that's been done in the community for a long time now is you very carefully lift that tiny fragile VDP pin, the subcarrier pin, off of the board. And that cleans up RGB on many revisions of the Model 1. There's one or two that are notoriously bad, but many of them end up great. And after doing that, you end up losing composite video. So what Tian Fong did was trace out that signal and find the four components on the motherboard that that signal passes through and made that into a very small and simple board that you could then take the lifted subcarrier pin and run it through this to the CXA using a shielded cable. 
So this essentially does the exact same thing as switching from an unshielded to shielded RGB cable, and it works. It, uh, at the very least, it works on the three different motherboard revisions that I've tried and a bunch that T tried. However, every motherboard revision is going to be slightly different. There's going to be slightly different install tactics, uh, maybe running the board or locating the board in different locations. So I'm going to call this one an expert only open source free mod for now. But what I'm asking is that the community, the installers, the modders and the people that do these could take pictures and kind of go through and figure out which of which installation process is best for each board and upload those instructions to the wiki. But I kind of did that with the motherboard revisions I have here. And I want to walk through that as well as why I honestly think this is a really important thing that I hope we're going to start to see more of in the modding community for retro consoles. This is going to be really wordy. So if you don't care, please don't say I didn't warn you, but maybe give me a chance for this one because I think this is going to start to resonate even for people that don't care about Genesis consoles, because it might resonate through others. So let me paint the picture. Maybe you're somebody like me that if I want a crystal clear signal that's the best possible, and there's an accurate core available on the Mister or maybe an analog console if you want to use original cartridges, that's what I'm going to do. But sometimes I want the original console experience. And with some consoles, like the one-chip Super Nintendos, I leave those exactly as is. Yes, there's a bunch of improvements that you could do to them, but it's an original experience and I like it. However, there are some consoles like the Model 1 Genesis where this whole unshielded subcarrier thing is a flaw. It's not really something that's part of the intended original experience. It's a design flaw that many people, in fact, probably most people at the time would have never picked up on on the equipment we had back then. So why not fix that flaw to improve the experience? Now, of course, you could say, well, why don't you just lift the subcarrier pin and not bother doing this? Well, then you end up with something that I think is eventually going to be a huge problem. Somebody else is at some point going to get that console and they're going to probably plug it in and either get no signal or maybe just a black and white signal, think it's broken and toss it not realizing that it's a much more enhanced console, just missing one feature. Plus, there are plenty of us out there that even if you don't want to do FPGA gaming, you only want original consoles, that you want to maybe grab a consumer-grade CRT TV that you found and plug into that with composite, and then when you're in the mood to play on your flat panel, you grab your RGB or HD retrovision cables and go through your scaler. And just lifting the subcarrier pin ends up removing that composite video experience, as does the triple bypass. Now, there's many different ways to get around this. You know, there are modders like Zaxor that have products that allow you to re-enable that. But the triple bypass is kind of one of those things for the Model 1 Genesis that you really have to look at your whole situation. So obviously, these consoles have capacitors. Eventually, they're all going to either dry out or leak out which is a big problem. So my thought on the triple bypass was improving the video signal on the Model 1s is really necessary if that's going to be your main way to play Genesis and you're going to be playing on a high quality solution like any flat panel with a scaler, a BVM, a PVM, something like that. So why not remove all of the capacitors from the video and audio signal and then use the triple bypass for those so you never have to worry about those again? plus the added bonus of being a slightly lowered noise floor on the audio and being able to add a Model 2 
uh, DIN connector so that you don't have to wrap, wrap the cable around front to get stereo audio, hence the triple bypass, audio, video, DIN. And that is a great solution for most people, but it is a lot of work and you have to buy the board. You can make your own, but that's a ton of work. And it's really one of those things where for many, many people, that is the perfect solution, but not for everybody. So I wanted to start thinking about this from the point of view of what's going to be the most important thing going forward. Is it really getting the highest quality out of each console? Is it preserving them? How do you go about doing all of this stuff? So I thought that going back and fixing stuff like this, the uh, Neo Geo 3.6 revision, the AES that has the terrible interference and pattern over it, kind of a similar thing. I think going back and fixing these consoles is something that would be a pretty big help for people. Now, a lot of the Model 2 revision Genesis have good video, but terrible audio. You could definitely fix that, but... That's probably a better candidate for the triple bypass. Model 3 has very good video and very good mono audio. So might as well just do a triple bypass on that unless you really need composite video. So those are discussions for another day. But today we're going to go through the Model 1. And once again, like I've already said, I have only tested three motherboard revisions personally, so we're going to need your help. But basically how this works, you lift the VDP pin there, um, do a screen capture to make sure that you actually have improved video. There's one or two models of the Genesis uh, one. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but lifting the subcarrier exposes even bigger flaws and it's better to just leave it as is. So do it, do a before and after screen capture. You know, use your, you could use your phone up to a flat panel. You could use a capture card as best, but do a before and after. And if you do have improved signal, cool. If not, we'll get back to that in a minute. Then lift the pin from the Sony CXA encoder and then mount the board in whatever location you think is best. I have done it both on top of the VDP and on top of the CXA. And I honestly don't know if one is better or worse. Um, I got the same video quality results on both, but you're gonna have to try it. And you might have to try twice depending on your motherboard revision. Then ground one side of it. I just use a capacitor leg. And then on the other side, make sure that you use a shielded cable to go between them. So you have signal and ground soldered on both sides. And then uh, obviously you're going to want to affix the board somehow. I use double-sided tape. And that's basically it. Then do another screen capture and make sure that you still get the cleaner RGB video. It looked exactly like after the VDP pin was lifted after I installed this. So RGB looked just as good as just the subcarrier pin, uh, pin lift, and then composite stayed the same, but it retained composite video functionality. So now you have a Genesis that's repaired, still retains all of its outputs. It's an original experience without the flaw that was there. So if you're an installer, please do that. Please mark down which of your locations are there. If you have good installation picks, please put those on the wiki and not my half-assed bullshit soldering skills. <laughs> I'm, I am so out of practice. And it just this just reminds me why I got to continue to pay Jose to do my stuff because he can do it a third of the time and it looks better. And it's probably, you know, all of my my solder joints are solid and I'm sure I could throw this console down a flight of stairs and this, this solder work will stay in it. But it, it doesn't look that good. So please put your updated, good looking pictures in there. 
and your installation methods. I lifted the VDP pen and used a capacitor leg, obviously not with a capacitor, I snipped that off, to connect it to the board because I felt like that was the least amount of pressure on the pin. If you have a better idea, please let me know. Um, And that's basically it. The only other thing that you might run into, let's say you do the third picture before, after subcarrier lift, and then the final, and the final picture has just as much much interference as the first, when it's supposed to look just like the second, that's when you're going to want to retry your routing. Is the cable run over something that's emitting interference? Um, Is the board mounted too close to the crystal oscillator, which is right next to the VDP on certain revisions? Um, You know, where are the wires run? Is everything connected? Are the grounds properly in there? I don't expect you to have any issues, but you might, because I can't test every single motherboard revision of the Genesis one. We did for the triple bypass and it cost me an arm and a leg and I can't go through that again. So um, check that out. The only other thing to note, there was a mod discovered by Voltar for the model one that tells you to put a capacitor between two pins on the VDP that cleans up a lot of excess noise on model ones to the point where it's kind of necessary if you're going to be doing an RGB bypass on most of these. I tried adding it to a VA3 and it made no difference. Now the video RGB video was already clear, so I, I don't know what I was expecting. But if you do have a model where you lift up that VDP pin Uh, the subcarrier pin, and you have all of a sudden a bunch of interference, try that. It's really tricky. I was able to do it. This is not my picture. And in fact, the pins of the RGB pins are lifted. Do not do that or else you won't get any video. I just used this picture as an example because it was way better than my crap job that I did. Um, But I did test it with a multimeter. I did make sure that it was installed properly. It just wasn't pretty. So you could give that a try and see. And if that happens, please let me know if you don't mind in the comments on social media, whatever, because I'm very curious. But for the testing that I've done, it didn't improve a signal that was already totally fine. So that's just one other thing I wanted to mention. So, you know, to sum all of this very long section up, um, I think this is important because I do think many of us want the original console experience and some awesome new enhanced FPGA experience. But I think stuff like this is probably going to be, uh, I think more people are going to appreciate this now than ever. Because when we started work on the triple bypass, they're, they're really, you know, it was really some something that people wanted for scalers because there weren't any other thing out there that could give you that experience. But now with Mr., that's certainly making people going into flat panels Maybe you want to use that and this on an original CRT, and this just gives you another another choice. So to end the rambling, uh, this is, uh, I forgot the license used, but it's basically the do whatever you want with this, but you know it's not our responsibility license for open source. I have the full files that I used in the JLC PCB ads, which means you might run into whatever issue I ran into if you try to have an assembly made of them. So please... You know, please share back if you don't mind, if you figure out what I ended up doing wrong to to have that repaired. And if you're an installer that does good work with good pictures and has this info, please post on the wiki. Because this this post here on RetroRGB is just a look what I did. Now now it's your turn post. I do not want this info on the wiki until it's confirmed by all of the awesome people out there. And of course, better pictures of better people's work are taken. So thank you to JLC PCB for being patient 
and working with me on this. And this section is not sponsored by them, but yeah, the last section was, and this is the result of that. Also, of course, and obviously, thank you to Tian Fong for putting up with all of my crap and helping me with this. And also, shout out to Voltar for the uh, the capacitor fix. And he also did something like this a few years ago, but I blew it off because I figured everybody would want, you know, the slightly different solution at the time. So while I completely forgot that he had already done this until I showed him this post, uh, he did also do the same work as well. And obviously, thanks to Jose for doing all these installs with me because, you know, it, I, I've learned a lot from all my friends. So, uh, yeah, this probably should have been in a video in itself, but whatever. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And speaking of the Sega Genesis, I recently did a live stream where I lag tested the Genesis Mini 2. I'll give you the conclusions here. This will be a very short section. But if you're curious how to do this stuff and how I do it, and maybe you could even improve upon it, I'm always all ears, check out the live stream. But most of you probably won't want to because this is in real time what it takes to do this stuff, which was about three hours worth of work and then 20 minutes worth of just checking out the Genesis Mini 2. Uh, so I definitely want to say this is more of a, hey, here's how you could do this yourself and less on the entertainment side. My fellow nerds might like it, but fair warning there. But essentially what I found is that the Genesis Mini 2 had a pretty solid three frames of lag. It didn't vary like the Genesis Mini 1. So it's not fast and it's not as good as the original, but it's good enough that you don't have to give too many disclaimers to your friends. For me, the Genesis Mini 1, it was like, okay, it looks awesome. The interface is awesome. But if you like your games, it's, you know, all the nerd explaining that we have to do to, to people that don't know how deep we go into this stuff. I don't think that's necessary. I think you just tell somebody that's not in the know, like, hey, this thing's actually very cool, but if you like the games, but you're still not sure, let me know and I'll hook you up with something better. But, you know, this is there's nothing really bad about this, certainly compared to things like the PlayStation Classic. Um, the audio lag is about five frames over the original. So two frames over itself. So when you're playing the game, it's going to be delayed, but... I don't know if it's enough to really, really bug people. If you're somebody who times your moves in fighting games based on noise, yes, definitely. But if you're somebody who said, oh, I remember the Sega Genesis. I used to have that same model too. And you plug this in and play it. I don't think this is a terrible experience. It's not what I would love to see, but I, I do think the performance is certainly good enough. And the interface is beautiful. The options are good. There's a few things I would have changed, but whatever. However, that's not 
uh, that's not really my place to go in and talk about. And in fact, I would recommend basically everybody else's review if you wanted to see the features. I uh, really enjoyed hearing Modern Vintage Gamer's point of view. I thought Joe from GameSack did a great job. The only thing I'll say about the GameSack video is do not look at the timestamps on it or the, the time, how long it is, because that might turn you off from it. That video blew by that felt like a 10 minute video and it was like 30 something minutes so don't be i should have said don't be intimidated by how long it is it's not going to be boring it went really quickly and I, I just i really liked the quick look at everything it had to offer so if you want more explanation but not a three-hour live stream please check out the post where i nerd out even more than i did here and if uh you know if you're a fellow retro dork like me check out the live stream Ship to Shore just opened pre-orders on the soundtrack for the arcade version of Ninja Warriors. You can get it from a bunch of different stores across the world. It's available in a limited edition red and blue split variant or just one basic version as well. Uh, and it's scheduled to release in quarter two of next year. Price is about 25 bucks. So fair price, uh, fair, uh, fair delivery schedule. And if this is something you're into, definitely check it out. I did notice the past couple of posts that I, I read of Crystal's about the pre-orders for these vinyls, sometimes they were the special edition were sold out from one store, but not the other. So if you're checking this out and you uh, in any of these posts, actually, and you really wanted the special edition, just check one of the overseas stores or if you're in the U.S., the second U.S. store, because that's just a, a tip I wanted to share with everybody. For me personally... You know, it's not often I like I go to the special editions, the um, lenticular 3D version of Space Harrier, uh, Space Harrier 3D. Yes, that to me, I just I love it. I, I know it's just a cover, but I love it for me personally. I get the normal versions and I usually love them, but I still wanted to just share that tip. So check out Crystal's post for um, for any of the details. And uh, if you like the Ninja Warrior soundtrack, here you go. It's a vinyl version ready for you. Lewis from Zez Retro just posted a video showing lag testing the original GameCube WaveBird wireless controller. And the test results came in at about five milliseconds of latency, which is excellent. That's great for a wireless controller. So while I enjoy the video very much, obviously I'm a fan of Lewis's stuff, I think how he tested and the whole video about that too is really the most important part because he used the Mr. Controller test kit, the same one that Pork Mr. Add-ons uses for the controller latency kit, the same one that I've had sitting in a box for a year and a half because I haven't had time to even take it out. But this is really important because this is actual real solid measurements. It's not, I played the freaking game and it felt good. It's not, oh, the company told me it was a low latency. This is a real test, solid measurements. And we need so much more of this. We first and foremost need just reviewers to step up and take the time like Lewis does to actually test these things. Then we need multiple people to explain it because like all of us know, you could watch three different YouTube videos explaining the same thing that you're trying to learn and you might get three completely different perspectives that all help or one person might be a better help than the other even though all three videos are equal in quality. Sometimes somebody just explains that one thing that you're not getting better than others and you know, it's it's really a quantity thing. We need more people to take the time to actually do this. And of course, Pork has the results up on MrAddons.com. You could always jump in and share your results there. But actually testing these things the right way is so important. And I get so 
angry and confused and, and frustrated when I talk to companies that have no idea the, how fast or slow their controllers or controller adapters are. It is mind-blowing that nobody, not nobody, that a lot of people don't do their own testing and numbers publishing. And it is kind of funny that all the times that I've asked people what their numbers are, when I get ghosted, I find out later on, most of them ghosted me because they never tested and don't know how to test. So that's up to us now. The people that buy these things, you know, not like Nintendo is still trying to sell us a wave board, but stick with me. The people that buy these things need to ask the question. And we need to say things like, hey, did you see Lewis's video on it? Because the WaveBird controller is easily tested the same way that your controller could be tested. Why didn't you do that? Why did just a reviewer do that and you own the company and you don't? Or, hey, check out Pork's list. Did you see the Mr. Add-on's latency test? Where do you fall on that list? We need to ask these questions. We need to keep doing these reviews. So I'm sorry to get preachy, but anybody that's followed me since the beginning knows that talking about lag is like talking to a flat earther in so many cases. Unless you put somebody in a spaceship and show them the curvature of the earth, some of these people just won't believe that lag actually matters. And it does so much in so many different cases. Turn-by-turn RPGs, no. You could press a button, go get a beer and come back and that's probably fine. But when you're playing any game where reaction time matters, it's a huge deal. And in fact, latency is a big draw for a lot of younger people that play older games on CRTs because they're just tired of playing the same game and not having the same experience because of variable latency, especially a lot of the emulation based games, you know, the re-releases of older ones. So it's an important topic and I don't feel so bad rambling on about it again. But I guess the point of this, uh, you know, three minutes later was please check out Lewis's post and video because we need a lot more of this. And of course, subscribe to Zez Retro because Lewis is awesome and Steve's doing a lot of cool stuff over there too. Have you ever played NES Castlevania? And when you hit an opponent with the whip at the exact same time that you get hit, the opponent takes a lot more damage than normal. If you have ever had that happen to you, or if you're just really curious like I am about nerd stuff like this, Chris from Displaced Gamers has a video that goes into detail about why that happens, what's going on in the code, and I just, I love stuff like this. I'm obviously a, a fan of Chris's, and I'd like all of the videos, but whenever there's something that happens that has happened to you, like the Ninja Turtles videos he released recently, it's... It's for me personally, I, I get more excited watching it because it's not just a really cool nerdy learning experience that I, I walk away feeling a slight bit smarter. It's something that explains something that may have happened to you. So as always, I strongly re recommend these to anybody who even cares a little bit because a very good video. So thanks, Chris. Keep doing them. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skip through these, but if you hear anything that interests you, please go back and watch Lou's video where he goes into detail for all of this stuff. First up, if you're interested in any of the ADC tape input stuff, definitely watch the opening of Lou's video this week because it's something that a lot of people might not be aware of. And it's, you might really be into this stuff. And he kind of lays it all out pretty nicely to the point where I'm not going to try to redo it because I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it as, as well as he did. So uh, definitely check that out if you're into any of the whole connecting stuff to the 3.5 millimeter jack. I don't even want to try to explain it. Just go watch the beginning for him. Uh, Core for the FM Towns Japanese computer is in development. And Alpha Download is available for anybody interested. 
Uh, Pierco has shown off some progress for the Express Raider Arcade Core. He first showed video RAM being written in simulation and then showed actual graphics being displayed. I saw that on Twitter. That looked cool. Uh, some fat guy did a video about setting up Mr. on Arcade Cabs. A track 17 and Darren O are getting things ready to release a beta for the Alpha Denshi Core. Um, you could check the links there to, to be put up, brought up to speed. It should be available manually downloaded or through Update All if you have that configured. Um, Robert posted a bunch more updates for the PlayStation Core and a couple other really excellent explanations on that. And I, I really love those. I know I say this every week, so I'm sorry to bore you, but if you're so if you're even slightly curious about how this stuff works, Robert does such a great job explaining it. I'll admit this last one I had to read twice, uh, but it, he goes into detail on his Patreon page about how with the new update, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be out in this one or out next week, but it could potentially render 480i as 480p. And it's doing that in a way that kind of uses the PlayStation and how it generates the video and because this is an FPGA where you can make an instant change to the, the, you know, the virtual chip inside of it, he's able to do that. So this is one of the many enhancements that are now propping up that you could never do on original hardware, yet it is still a perfectly accurate experience to the original. So if you want more details, definitely check out Robert's post. Also, Hotego was, uh, had a non-working CPS3 board donated thanks to Texas Shot Takers, which is great because now they could take that and decap it and basically destroy it for the, the better good of everybody else without feeling guilty of destroying a good working CPS3 board. So thank you very much. Um, Shane McRetro was able to use a Mr. FPGA to browse an archive of GeoCities, which is so neat. If you don't know what GeoCities is, look for a nerd with gray hair and uh, they'll tell you what it is. Next, Jimmy Stones was able to get in contact with the original creator of the Clean Sweep arcade game, confirmed certain things that were wrong with the core and is still getting more questions answered. So that's cool. I, I, I really would love to talk to an original developer who may have heard about FPGA and kind of see how they feel about that. I bet you they thought it was pretty cool. Also, Hotego released a beta for OutRun if you're a subscriber on Patreon. It's still a little buggy, but it was really cool to try out. And I actually now have a PS5 controller, even though I don't have a PS5. Thank you to Destiny for that one. But that means I was able to try it with both the analog sticks and the D-pad, and both were great. The D-pad feels like OutRun on Saturn or Genesis or something, and the analog stick it works very well on that. So if you're a fan of OutRun, uh, you know, if you're a Patreon subscriber, definitely try it right now. And if not, it'll eventually be public and it looks good. It sounds good. It's just still some bugs to be worked out, but a lot of cool progress. Uh, also, uh, Terasic, Terasic, I still don't know how you're supposed to say it, but the people who make the DE10 Nano said that there is now going to be an official price increase once January hits. I don't know if that means that it's also going to be in stock more often and the price is going up or if it's still going to be kind of hard to get with a higher price. But I don't think anybody would be surprised by that considering the part shortage and relatively speaking how little the DE10 has gone up in price officially than it started out as. Obviously, it's much more expensive, but not like the FPGA chips themselves are. They were $5 chips selling for 80 bucks a piece at one point, if not more, I think. So that's understandable. Also, I do want to just politely remind everybody that 
you could always get a DE10. It just takes a little time and patience. You don't have to go to scalpers. And in fact, a lot of these official sellers of the Mr. Kits, whenever uh, larger stock is available, they would buy a bunch and have fully loaded kits available for people. So just to have a little bit of patience and you will be able to get one at a fair price. You know, it's frustrating to see rumors go around about, you know, all these things cost a thousand dollars. I mean, they can if you have all of the accessories and you need to buy a scalp D10 and, you know, fine, but they don't have to. You could just get a D10, a RAM module and a USB hub and be out the door under 300 bucks and have a great experience on a flat panel. So just wanted to kind of politely remind everybody about that. Um, but that pretty much sums it up. Lou also has been working on videos about the analog pocket and even the stream deck. So I'm not really sure, you know, actually, I'd like to ask all of you any suggestions on how I should integrate these updates, because I love doing the Mr. Updates because I love the Mr. Project and I love that Lou does all the work for us. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lou. I would never be able to, uh, to keep up with this stuff. But do you want me to kind of mention those other videos? And also, and most importantly, how can I do that in a way that that really promotes the work Lou does and gets subscribers going over there? I want to make sure to promote all of the people that contribute to Retro RGB, not steal their work or anything like that. So I'm all ears and I'll, I'll try anything that sounds reasonable. And I'm sure this is going to be an evolution where we change things up a couple of times. But those are all good things. Let's try to figure out how to make this better for everybody. So thanks to Lou. Thanks Thanks to everybody who works in the Mr. Community, whether you're a core developer or just somebody that uses, promotes it positively and stays out of the console wars esque crap. You're all awesome. Thank you. Before I go, I just wanted to let people know I uploaded a room tour of how the workflow of this office slash family room slash guest room here works. And, uh, you know, I kind of had mixed feelings because I know a lot of people think room tours are just super boring. And, you know, they're certainly not a fit on RetroRGB.com. I didn't do a post about this, but I do think that some of the workflow things that I've done might be a help to people because... I really like to show how I try to streamline things and how I make things easier. And I also have a bunch of videos coming out in the next six months or so that talks about audio stuff in this setup. Um, and I think even a little bit more arcade stuff. So I just think that there's probably going to be a lot of questions in the comments of those videos. Like, oh, why are you doing it that way? What's on the side of the room? Why wouldn't you, you know, why did you need to do that? Or that's cool. Why did you do that? And I just wanted a, a very... Well, quick for me, because I'm obviously wordy, but uh, a quick overview of the stuff that I have in here and kind of the basics of how I, I work through all of this stuff. So maybe you will find it mind-numbingly boring. Maybe you'll think it's neat, or hopefully you might watch it and pick up an idea or two for yourself that you might be able to use in your own setup. That's a help. So if you care, awesome. If you could not care less, maybe just you know mute it and leave it on in the background and give me a couple of views. But just wanted to share it here with everybody. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, because without you, none of this stuff would happen. So thank you all so much. If you'd like to support, just click on the support button on the website, retrorgb.com forward slash support, and any help you can give is always appreciated, including just spreading the word. So thank you all so much, and now I'm going to go clean up the... Uh, pile of four Genesis consoles, motherboards, and modding equipment I have sitting here from doing all the subcarrier bypass work. So thanks all very much, and I'll see you soon.